Hello, I am your host, Samuel Hansen, and you are listening to Strongly Connected Components, Episode 17, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. My guest on today's program is the wonderful Matt Parker, stand-up mathematician, and we decided to sit down and discuss how to communicate maths, the manual of mathematical magic, and most importantly, what Yakawow really is. Here we go. This is uh, Strongly Connected Components. My guest today is Matt Parker, a stand-up mathematician. How are you, Matt? Oh, not so bad, Samuel. <laughs> I'm, I'm surviving at the moment. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is actually a, a first for Strongly Connected Components. I uh, generally have to do this either on site or over the phone, but I'm, I'm very uh, happy to have Matt here in studio uh, with me. And as I said, uh, you, you've taken the title stand-up mathematician. Yes. Uh, in, in what, in, well, I mean, what exactly does that, that mean for you? Well, very importantly, you should notice it doesn't actually contain the word comedy or, or humor or anything. So if, if I'm in any way non-entertaining, that's not false advertising. It, I wanted to imply that I'm taking the kind of approach to communication that stand-up comedians use, and then I'm applying that to maths. So I'm taking out the jokes and putting in maths, and so I'm using the same methods to convey different information. And I found it was because what I do, I've kind of, you know, made up my own career. And I found this was the easiest and quickest, most concise way to explain what I do in a fashion that will fit on a business card. Oh, uh, now, one of the uh, other things, I mean, uh, we, when we were talking before, you mentioned you're mostly freelance. Uh, but you do have an actual uh, position, I believe it's at Queen Mary University of London. Yes. Uh, and that is math and physics outreach. Yes. So for them, uh, what exactly, what sort of outreach uh, do you do? I do, uh, it tends to fall into three different categories. Part of it, I'm on the front line as such, where I go into local schools uh, and do maths and physics sessions for the kids. Uh, predominantly maths, but I do, um, do have a secret love for physics. And so I get to go in, work with the kids and try and encourage them. I mean... I mean, ideally, obviously, they can apply to Queen Mary University, but to be honest, we don't care. As long as they're considering a maths or maths-related career or studying it at a further level at any institution, we're happy. Um, the other thing I do is uh, we often bring kids into the university on campus, so we do like some residential summer schools where they can come and get a taste of university life, or we run taster courses and the like, so I help out with those. Um, but possibly uh, the most important uh, one is the third one where I work with the undergraduates, I work with the academics, uh, and I train them to run the same sorts of sessions with the kids. And so we get the undergrads and the postgrads working directly with school kids to encourage them to study maths and maths-related subjects at university. Uh, that, that, seems, that seems very uh, interesting to me. One thing I've noticed, uh, at least you know, browsing around for when math is mentioned on the internet recently, I noticed that a lot of it is coming from England. It seems most often it's, it's people uh, over, you know, in London, there's lectures or things going on. And that, that's very foreign to me. Uh, in the United States, we seem very negative on math and science uh, specifically, but even more specifically on math. 
And so uh, what's sort of different in the culture over there that uh, has this sort of outreach? Because I've been to multiple universities here. We've never had an outreach officer for math. Uh, It's interesting, actually, because I... Uh, originally from Australia, so I can kind of compare what I do in the UK now with, with the situation in Australia. I'm less familiar with the US, obviously. Yeah. But there's been a real tradition of maybe about 20 years now of what's called science communication, where scientists really put some effort into communicating what they do to the general public. I mean, it's it's been a... It's been around for centuries in terms of things like the Royal Institution and the like uh, in the UK. This taking science and making it accessible. But I think in the last two decades, we've just realized not enough people are applying to study science or to become scientists. And only in the past couple of years, the mathematicians have gone, well, wait a minute, we can do this as well. There's now a, a thriving science communication community. Where's the mass communication community? So I think, personally, the last five years or so, there's really stepped up the efforts to deliberately communicate maths uh, to the general public. I think a big part of this is, like you mentioned, there's this cultural acceptance uh, that, that you're allowed to dislike maths, you're allowed to be bad at maths, you're allowed to be proud of being bad at maths. And it, it's, I think it's quite detrimental, and particularly we're, we're not going to have the scientists and engineers and uh, p- mathematically literate people we need. And so uh, mathematicians as a whole have kind of gone, right, we need to do something about this. We need... Uh, as a community to work together, and we need individuals, uh, particularly who are going to specialize in doing this, to make sure we reevaluate the cultural, uh, you know, perception of maths. Now, you said that uh, one of your judges, you help, uh, you know, the, some of the students as well as the educators into learning how to communicate math better. Uh, what are some of the techniques that you have used to uh, communicate maths to, you know, say the school audience that really helps draw them in? There, there are two ways you can really make it accessible for a school audience. And so when I work with a, a student or an academic uh, to look at how they can talk about what they do, you've got to either make it exciting for the kids or you've got to make it relevant. And it can be both. Um, but either way, it has to be engaging. And a lot of people think engaging has to mean it's exciting. That's just one way to make it engaging. You've got to find something that you're studying or researching that kids can appreciate and can find it interesting. And you're doing it and you find it exciting. So if you're an academic or or a mathematician, you love what you do, other people will also love it. Uh, You're not a a one-off outlier. Other people will also appreciate it. It's just a way of communicating the bit that you find so interesting. Um, The other side, obviously, is making it relevant. And so if kids can see, oh, uh, you know, the bits of number theory are useful because I can send a text message or I've got to learn this or otherwise I'll fail my exams. I mean, either end of the relevant spectrum. Uh, if you can find a way where the kids go, actually, there's some value to this, it's worth doing, then you'll get their attention. Now, uh, one way I've seen uh, you make it uh, both relevant and entertaining is uh, the uh, videos that you do for the training and development agency for schools uh, that are up on the internet and have significantly more hits than this podcast does, actually. <laughs> uh, now, what what uh, led to this project? Well, this was with, like you mentioned, the Training and Development Agency, which is the uh, government agency in the UK responsible for recruiting teachers. And so they've got what they call Priority One subjects, which are effectively maths, English. Oh, no, sorry, maths, not English. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, maths, chemistry, and physics. And so they're the ones where we really need more teachers. And so I help try and get more people going into math teaching. Because if, I mean, just personally, if it, we wanted to fix... Uh, 
maths and society, if you just flooded the market with enthusiastic maths teachers, you would fix the problem. Uh, if you just had an abundance of people who love maths, could convey it well, are genuinely enthusiastic, and you put them in all the schools across the country, you, you'd be set. And so these videos were a way of drawing attention to the fact that to be a math teacher, you've got to be quite creative, you've got to think on your feet, you've got to be able to find ways to make things relevant, you've got to be explaining things in different uh, ways, and that uh, math teaching is not what people remember it to be. Because a lot of people think, if I become a math teacher, I'm just going to get the kids doing exercises or whatever. And so we wanted to show people, no, actually, now to be a math teacher, you've got to be very creative and very enthusiastic. So hopefully we, we drew attention to math teaching as a brilliant career option. Uh, coincidentally, when loads of people who may work in finance losing their jobs, uh, it's, it's unexpected, but uh, <laughs> it hasn't hurt. <laughs> you are listening to Strongly Connect Components. The guest on today's episode is Matt Parker, stand-up mathematician. You can find out more about Matt by going to acmescience.com and checking out the blog entry for this show where you'll find a bunch of links to the things that Matt Parker does, such as his Twitter or some of the videos that he does. You can also find out more about Strongly Connect Components and its sister and more comedic show, Combinations and Permutations, over at acmescience.com. And you can also visit our forums where you can talk about the shows. Now, before we head back to the interview, here is one of the projects that Matt worked on for the Training and Development Agency, where he lets us know how to properly split a restaurant bill. Picture the scene. You're in your local moderately priced brasserie. You've just had a lovely meal and some average wine. It's just you and all your tight-fisted mates. Amy is driving. She's refusing to pay for any of the booze. Doug is the only person who insists on having a dessert. The waitress is here, ready to lose her patience. I don't know how we're going to split this bill without killing each other. Actually, I do. This is precisely the situation why I invented standard meal units. Now, a standard meal unit is approximately one main with two drinks. Anyone who insists on drinking heavily, that's 1.4 standard meal units. If someone just has a salad, we'll call that 0.6. You add together everyone's standard meal units to get a total, divide the bill by this total, and then multiply that value by each person's allotment to get their portion of the bill. Piece of cake, which is 0.2 standard meal units. So as you can see, thanks to mass, we were able to subtract the problem that was dividing us all simply by adding peace and serenity. I paid the taxi last time, you type Uh, now, one thing that, that you keep mentioning about this is enthusiasm, and you quite clearly have enthusiasm uh, for what you do. Now, I, I know, I mean, I'm a grad student here. I know a lot of people who do mathematics. I know a lot of professors. I know a lot of grad students. I know a lot of people being educated for uh, teaching. Now, it seems that a lot of them seem to lack uh, <laughs> enthusiasm for what they're actually doing. Uh, have you found any way of, say, uh, trying to cultivate that enthusiasm that they must have once had, yes. but seems to, seem to have lost somewhere in the no, slog of education? I think you, you can get enthusiasm beaten out of you and replaced with, with basic, you know, a level of being cynical, I guess. Um, I, <clears throat> I guess there are two sides to this. There, there are people who study maths at university, love it, and then go into... 
uh, a career where they don't get to use as much math. Well, particularly they go into teaching. And if you go into teaching as a math teacher, it's because you enjoy math, but you will slowly lose your enthusiasm. So I've been trying to find ways that people who loved maths and now have become teachers and becoming less and less in touch with the maths can stay as enthusiastic. And I actually, I run something called Maths Jam, uh, where we get together in a pub and we jam uh, with some maths. And so we get academics and we get uh, PhD students and the like, and teachers. We all get together and the people will just bring puzzles or interesting maths things I've come across. Uh, and we just we, we have some tasty beverages and we, we solve puzzles and discuss bits of maths. And it's a very relaxed way of, of basically keeping people in touch with the maths community and keeping that enthusiasm going. I think it's so much easier to keep it alive than it is uh, to, to re-spark it, I guess. Actually, can I put a quick... Oh, yeah. Th this may get lost in the edit, but a quick commercial. We do mass jam. It's a monthly gathering in London. Send me uh, an email if you want more information. But we're hoping to do a weekend mass jam, like a mass jam conference. It's going to be in November. So if you pop along to massjam.com, we're hoping, not just yet, we'll have some information up there as we manage to pull it together. We figure if we get loads of people together for a weekend away and, and jam some maths, basically. Well, um, you said uh, I'd send you an email. Why don't you give them your oh, email? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, my email address is uh, matt, M-A-T-T, -T, two T's, please, one's, one's for safety, at standupmaths.com. So it's stand-up, as in stand-up comedy, and then maths, uh, with an S on the end of it, because... That's how it's spelled. Uh, <laughs> com. Oh, yeah. It's so, so do you know why it's maths I everywhere really, but I here? I really have no idea. Because my, my, my argument is, I mean, it's contraction versus uh, truncating. Because if you've got mathematics, we've just taken the middle bit out and popped the S for maths. Whereas if you just truncate after four letters, you get math. Um, and I'm, I, I guess I'm slightly bilingual. I, 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 can, I can speak almost fluent American. So I'm, I'm okay with math and, 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 you know, I'm on vacation now, not holidays, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I, re I really don't know. But it, it, the upside is if you're in somewhere like the UK or Australia and you want to find uh, local maths resources by putting in maths with the S, uh, you only get local results. Whereas if you put in math, you'll get the American results. And so... Oh, okay. No, and that, that makes it. I always thought maths made more sense because there's more than one type of math. That's just it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And obviously it encompasses the, the, the wide nature of the subject. I don't know. Uh, now, another, you have, you have Math Jam. Another thing that you do have is the Manual of math, uh, Mathematical Magic. That's the one. That, yes. is, that is a bit of a tongue twister. It is for a bit a of a tongue twister. Our problem was we wanted to call it something like uh, uh, the, the magic of maths or something like that. But then people think, well, maths is magic. Maybe you're just describing how magical maths is. So it's like the new ICP song. Uh, which one? Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, uh, don't, in, don't start throwing in, cultural references <laughs> at me here. This is well, see, this, this one hit all over the internet. It's, a, it's an insane clown posse, a horrible, yep. horrible music group from Detroit, I'm Michigan. I'm familiar with their work. Yeah, uh, well, they, they recently have uh, released a song called Miracles, and it's uh, there's a line about uh, how do magnets work? Don't ask scientists because they're liars and they're making me pissed. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really a quite brilliant take on, on uh, United States idea of how science works. Yeah. Uh, but okay. Yeah. So, so math so, is magic. Yeah. yeah. So our problem was, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we want to do the, the maths of magic, not the magic of maths, if, if that works. So we thought we'll, we'll make it as obvious as... It, it involves lots of words, but we'll, we'll make it the manual of mathematical magic. Uh, I worked uh, with a guy called uh, Professor Peter McCohen, who's in the computer science department at Queen Mary. 
and he's done amateur magic stuff, and I've done bits of amateur magic stuff. And he'd previously done ma magic and computer science tricks, which are lovely. And so we thought we would do a maths book. And so we wrote up a series of tricks, some quite you know well-known ones, a few ones that we'd developed ourselves, and explained, first of all, how to perform the trick, so you could just read it as a magic book. We then also explained how the math behind it works and how you can then start to tweak and mess with the math to get new tricks. Uh, and finally, because, because we're like this, we put in extra bits about why the maths is so lovely and how else it is used. And so we thought this would be particularly useful for schools because they can use the tricks in class and then explain, well, the same maths behind this trick it was also used as error correcting or something else like that. Okay, uh, and now another thing that happened recently uh, over in the UK, there's been a big, uh, big fight over uh, uh, homeopathic remedies. Ah, yes. yes. <laughs> now, anybody who follows uh, the science community on Twitter uh, should be quite well versed in this. But you recently uh, wrote, wrote an article about some of the math behind uh, homeopathy. Now, if you could explain a little bit about what that was and, and why you decided to join in this fight. I think it was against Boots? No, was absolutely. It? it was against a, a pharmacy called Boots, which is like a high street kind of drug um, store. And they were selling homeopathic remedies. And what part of what really gets me, and a lot of people don't care about this aspect, they just get annoyed by the fact that it's fake science and it's tricking people into medicine doesn't work. But what really bugged me is it's always put in the natural remedy section. For some reason, uh, homeopathic remedies are championed by hippies. And I'm like, well, why are you doing this? It's not even a natural remedy. It's kind of like witchcraft from the late 1700s. Why? It, the fact that it's even sold as a natural remedy annoyed me. And so I thought I would try and convey using maths, what homeopathic remedies actually are. Because it's, it's a series of dilutions. So they take the substance they wish to give you as a dose, and how they pick that substance is a whole different conversation. But they take whatever that is, and then they dilute it. Uh, traditionally, they dilute it one part in uh, 100. And then they, they mix it around for a while, then they dilute it one part in 100 again, and then one part in 100 again, and then again, and again, and again, and again. And then they keep going and going and going. And, going. and, and the standard pills you buy, they do this 30 times. So 30 times the solution's diluted one part in 100, you end up with one part in, uh, well, I was going to say one part in 10 to the 60. And mathematicians go, that's a, that's a very big number. But how do you convey just how, uh, whatever the strongest expletive I can use on this interview. Any that big, you want. Big, <laughs> that, yeah, don't, don't, don't push your luck. <laughs> uh, and I'm just, I, I took the challenge on to try and make accessible analogies for how big 10 to the 60 dilution is. Because, you, I mean, uh, basically, if you wanted to make uh, a paracetamol pill with a 10 to the 60 dilution, um, th there are not enough atoms in the known visible universe <laughs> to make that pill. You need more than and a conserve. well, 10 to the 79, 10 to the 81, that depends who you ask and how they're feeling, uh, atoms in the universe. There are not enough molecules to make one of these pills. Um, and it's just that, that you, you are not taking any of the original substance. You, you're purely taking a, a sugar or lactose, uh, whatever, pill, and sheer optimism that, that it will somehow remember a previous substance it touched. And so I got so angry. Uh, if you have a look around online, uh, the Times were kind enough uh, to put it up on their online science blog, and it's been repeated a few places. I think on Richard Dawkins' site is possibly the best version. Um, I went through and basically crunched the numbers just to show how ludicrous this whole thing is. Uh, now, 
one of the main thing uh, that you do is you go around and you you give uh, talks. Now, in these talks, can you give a couple examples of the sort of things that you actually uh, talk about when you're, or the demonstrations that you do uh, when you're when you're in front of a group of people and uh, making them convinced that maths really is. Uh, the best thing in the world, as it obviously, as it obviously is. is yeah. uh, well, it depends. Uh, if I'm working with kids, one of my favorite um, talks or activities that I do a lot of is based on topology because it's an area of math that kids don't get to do at school. But yeah, it's very accessible because some of the, the more fundamental shapes you can make, so your basic Mobius loop, uh, they can construct and then they can start to investigate and it will start to do things they don't expect. And I love that moment when they do something and they think it's just a normal activity and something unexpected happens. They try and I tell them just to quickly cut their Mobius loop in half. Once everyone has two, I'll give them the next step. And they do that. And you, if you ever try it, you, you can't cut a Mobius loop in half like that. And it just, their little heads explode. Uh, and then I've got them now doing things that they're not used to. And it's things that they're not uh, naturally able to immediately see what's happening. And you start looking at what happens if you start stretching shapes and, and the like. And I go right through, and I throw in, because I'm lazy, I throw in a bit of fluid dynamics at the end of this talk, and I, show, I shoot giant smoke rings around the room for a while, which kids love. <laughs> uh, and we talk a bit about you know, um, fluid dynamics and aeronautical engineering and the like. And so I think partly I've shown them that maths teaches your brain new ways to think by investigating these strange situations, and also it's alarmingly useful when we design planes and the like. <laughs> now, that, that might be the best description of, of mathematics I've ever actually heard. Alarmingly useful. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's the, un, I forget the official phrase, the uh, unreasonable usefulness of whatever it is of math. It is. It's alarmingly useful. And it doesn't have to be. If you go to a university and if you visit the math department and the philosophy department, they're exactly the same. And they ow, would have ow, equal ow. they would have equal standing, bear with me here, if it wasn't for the fact that math is alarmingly useful. And that's that's the only real difference. We're we're the useful bits of philosophy, which I love. Uh, there there's another thing other than just uh, homeopathy that's uh, been brewing on the internet recently. Uh, over, you know, where you typically reside. And that other thing is Yakawao, which... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe, uh, or actually, I'm, I'm still not entirely clear what it is. You so have your finger on the pulse. I have to <laughs> give that to you. Because we lined this interview up a couple months back. Yeah. And I said, oh, look, I I'm going to be over in Nevada on holidays. How about I drop by and do it? And this only flared up uh, oh, a week ago. Yes, maybe I'm, a little bit. I can't. Yeah, quite. I, I think it was right before uh, you were grounded in Belfast. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trapped in. Well, this is part of the problem, actually. I was trapped in Belfast. I was like, oh crap! I got a weekend in Belfast now, which is lovely, by the way, everyone in Belfast. <laughs> but I was meant to be on a romantic weekend with my girlfriend, and so she was on a romantic weekend by herself, <laughs> and I was trapped in Belfast. And so this Yakawal thing had just kicked off. And I'm a huge fan of the Royal Institution, which is um, in the UK. It, it split off the Royal Society <laughs> 100 years ago. And its purpose was to be like the Royal Society, but kind of the wing of the Royal Society that then communicated mass to the public. And so uh, Michael Faraday is one of the more famous um, uh, members. And, and they started the Christmas lectures to communicate science to the public and the like. And they do amazing work in maths now. Their maths masterclasses are some of the best bits of maths education going. But they've had a bit of a, bit of a, a, a I think a smackdown as a technical phrase uh, involving the director. And the, the, the political ins and outs, I, I'm not spot on. 
but I have been watching very, very, um, with a lot of interest. And some of the things their, their previous director had said involving the internet and computers, I had found personally not very insightful and uh, not quite grasping the notion of the internet and kind of plucking, uh, it's, a, it's a big thing to accuse someone of plucking results, but kind of plucking conclu conclusions, let's say, out of the air as to how the internet may affect your brain and the like. But anyway, so I wasn't a huge fan to start with, uh, scientifically speaking. And then when this, there was an interview recently um, where she was misheard, mi not misquoted, mistranscripted, maybe. And she was trying to describe the internet as where you run around shouting yuck and wow as you see things that are either good or not. Although technically, I guess it would be fail and win, but hey. Um, <laughs> and then she was misheard and it was written down as yakawow. <laughs> Someone went, what's this, yakawow? Oh, wait a minute. I really enjoyed just saying that. Yakawow. Huh, brilliant. Uh, and, and people, yakawow became its own concept uh, to kind of embody all the good things, uh, in my opinion, all the good things about the internet. Uh, and... The reason I got dragged into this is I was kind of watching from the sidelines until I got bored in Belfast. And then uh, part of the interview, she compares uh, Twitter to a small child putting their socks on. And so she says, oh, Twitter's ridiculous. She's like, oh, I'm, put, you know, I'm putting on one sock. Now I'm putting on the other one. And then people kind of grabbed a hold of this as a concept. And so I thought, well, truly, if you were one with the Yakawao, you would apply your socks simultaneously. <laughs> and so there is a video on YouTube of me uh, applying my socks in a simultaneous fashion. And um, it seemed to embody the spirit of Yakawao. <laughs> Are people getting all up in your Yakawao because you apply your socks in a sequential manner? Are you finding, having put on N socks, you've got to then repeat the entire process for N plus one? I mean, this is wasting valuable time you could be spending with one or more of your up to ten friends. The solution is simple. Take both socks, place them in front of your feet, and then apply them in a simultaneous fashion, like so. Yakka wow. Now, uh, in, back, back in that, that fantastic story, I mean, the side, side bit yeah, good of Good luck it. editing uh, that down, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, I'm leaving all that in. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Twitter, and that's that's how I originally found you. I can't remember exactly who I ended up following that also ended up talking about you. It, Twitter's one of those great things where yeah. uh, it's the social network graph of Twitter has to be one of the most odd shaped structures in math, actually. Uh, but you use you use Twitter, and you use Twitter quite often, as I have also been known to do. Yep. Uh, what? What made you decide that uh, Twitter was something that you were going to? I, I let's let's use proper internet lingo here. <laughs> leverage. Oh yeah. Uh, to uh, help you with your Twitter was my fulcrum. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, a couple of things I like about Twitter. One reason why I really embraced it is it keeps you on people's radar. And so the thing about the sort of work I do is that it kind of comes in bursts where I'm involved in a project and then the project finishes and, and so on. And so I thought that the Twitter would be a great way to fill the gaps with just a constant slow trickle of mass communication. So I can be constantly putting out little bits about mass, things that are interesting. And so people who kind of have a bit of an interest in mass or find it kind of interesting can go on Twitter and be kind of just, not, well, not drip-fed, but have a constant... 
uh, unintrusive supply of bits of maths. And so um, if you do want to look at my Twitter, I'm stand up maths again with an S. I do apologize to my uh, US colleagues. Uh, uh, stand up maths. And on that, you get basically anything I find interesting that's vaguely mathematical and anything I find interesting that's not mathematical, but I think it's sufficiently interesting that I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, so other than you said you have math jams, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, and then hopefully the big one coming up in November. Yep. Uh, what other sort of things are on your radar right now for the work that you do? Oh, okay, right. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm getting ready if this is like my plug zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. go plug away. Stuff Matt's up to. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, with two things probably worth mentioning, uh, and I do apologize, this is going to be very UK-specific because I live there, uh, but I'm doing the London Mathematical Society popular lectures this year, and so they're in London in... Uh, don't quote me on this, June, and then they're in Birmingham, I believe, in September-ish. And I'm talking in those about my um, uh, Woolworths research, and if you've come across oh, that... Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. You know about it. Basically, I, I analyzed the geographical location of the ancient Woolworths stores, which are like is it five and dime over here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like uh, you can go and buy cheap plastic things for your kitchen, a CD of songs you haven't heard of, and maybe some pick-and-mix sweets. I actually think um, if we go back for it, I think there's Woolworths here at some at Oh, really? Yeah, too. actually, because it is a it is a very big brand. And in Australia, there are Woolworths stores, but they're separate because they're like a grocery store oh, in okay. Australia. But we have Big W in Australia, which is like the old Woolworths, which are now... Anyway, yeah, I sorry. picked <laughs> a hilarious store that uh, disappeared off the high street in late 2008, analyzed the locations and discovered some very precise geometric um, uh, shapes. And the reason I was doing that is there's a guy uh, in uh, England who analyzes the ancient prehistoric like standing stones and all the old megalith kind of stuff and finds amazing patterns in those. And he says it's because the ancient civilization was incredibly intelligent and had advanced maths and um, he can't rule out extraterrestrial help, this, this sort of stuff. I, I love archaeology and old things, that, which is partly why I got so emotional about this. But he, he just finds these random triangles and says, wow, must have been advanced you know, satellite navigation. So I found amazing patterns in the ancient Woolworth stores of 2008. Uh, and anyway, so I'm talking about how random data will always give you a pattern if you look hard enough. Any pattern you want, if you've got enough random data, you'll find it. And so I, I will be talking about my Woolworth research and related other ways that we find patterns where there aren't patterns. It's just because, if anything, he's proven that the ancient sites are distributed randomly because he did find these patterns. Uh, so I'll be, I'll be talking about that and other bits and pieces at, at those lectures. So do come along. Oh, also, I'm hoping, too, and I'm, I'm a bit swamped with work, but I've still got all the data from where the Woolworth stores are, and I'm hoping to get school kids to start crunching the numbers because he's challenged me that I can't find as many triangles as he can. I love it. It's a, it's a, tr it's a triangle <laughs> smackdown. It's brilliant. I'm like, yeah, and he's got, for the record, 1,500 sites. I've only got 800. So I'm, I'm hoping to package up my 800 sites uh, in a nice Excel spreadsheet and get school kids finding patterns for me. So I'm going to use the cloud. Yes, I'm hoping to use distributed computing across year nine classes to find more patterns than he can. Uh, anyway, so that's they're the London Mathematical uh, Society popular lectures. You can find them online fairly easily, or if not, email me. Uh, the other thing I'm doing, if anyone's going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is like a massive comedy festival um, in Edinburgh every year in August, I'm doing a show called Your Days Are Numbered. Uh, with someone, another um, 
nerdy comedian called Tamandra Harkness, and we're doing a show about the maths uh, behind death. So the statistics and the probabilities and, and how you might die and what the odds are dying and, and the like. So that's going to be on for the duration of the festival. So it'll be in the booklet. You can, you can find it and come along. Uh, and, and just as a word of warning, I did work out the numbers, and I believe, I, I forget the precise number of zeros, but I think there's a 0.00043% chance that you will die during the show, um, in which case we do offer a, a um, pro rata refund uh, for the bit that you missed. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it should be a fun look at statistics and, and, and the misuse of them. Okay, well, uh, on, on, that, on that note about the probability that you're going to die here, I want to uh, thank you very much for coming in and being on the show. My pleasure, Samuel. Uh, this has been Strongly Connect Components. You can find Matt Parker at twitter.com slash standupmaths and uh, Matt at standupmaths.com as well as standupmaths.com for links to videos as well as uh, speaking uh, engagement stuff. Uh, that, That's yeah. the best description I've ever had. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Well, that is it for another episode of Strongly Connected Components. If you want to reach me, leave any feedback, suggest maybe another guest, or just say thanks for getting the wonderful um, Matt Parker. I really was one of the most fun people I've had to interview uh, yet. You can email me at samuel at acmescience.com. That's right, samuel at acmescience.com. Really, I, I check that email address quite a few times a day because I also use it for everything else. The music on this episode was provided by Hard and Firm, the song Pi, which is the theme to this show, and Shadows192 from SB12 for the interstitial and outro music. You can find SB12 over at opsound.org. If you want to find out more about Strongly Connected Components, please head on over to acmescience.com. This episode, as is the entire show and the blog, and, you know, why not my uh, Twitter account for Acme Science, uh, is all under Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike License, so please feel free to take this, remix it, remake it, and re-release it, as long as you let people know that the audio was originally from me. Well, or Acme Science, or from something, just mention the name of the show. I, I want to thank everyone for listening and for sticking around when I take so long and to get all of these shows out. Once again, thanks for listening. Really, all of you, you're wonderful, amazing people. And I hope to hear from you and I hope that you enjoy all of these projects and my rambling outros for all these shows. Goodbye. <laughs>